Today's podcast is brought to you by the American Society of Human Genetics, supporting scientific discovery, education, and advocacy by human genetics specialists worldwide. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. The so-called poison pill amendment is a way to get the majority party in Congress to sink its own legislation, and it's a time-honored tactic. But this year, poison pills are emanating from both sides of the partisan divide as the House and Senate take up fiscal 2017 spending measures. And they're disrupting Republicans' hopes of restoring regular order and transparency to the budgeting process. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ Magazine Deputy Editor Jason Dick. The House is due to take up one of the less controversial spending bills, the one dealing with the Library of Congress, the Capitol Police, the architect of the Capitol. And yet, Jason, there are deal-breaking amendments that would let lawmakers and their staffs carry firearms in the Capitol, block transgender bathroom policy from being implemented, get rid of a special committee investigating abortion practices. It almost seems as if both sides are trying to blow up the process. It certainly feels that way, particularly if you go to the Capitol and you uh, bring up any of these sort of uh, poison pill questions. Uh, Both sides are are on message. For one, they're just grateful not to be talking about Donald Trump uh, for a little bit. But um, it it does seem that we are uh, seeing these poison pills being attached to even the most – the the smallest and, and least controversial pieces of legislation. Last year, these sort of poison pills targeted Planned Parenthood over its abortion practices. They targeted displays of the Confederate battle flags. Those have receded into the background a bit. They're being replaced by what? The Right now, it's uh, lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender rights uh, seems to be the thing that is the, the major sticking point. We've seen this a couple of times in the, in the House with um, – in, in, in the – couple of appropriations bills that have come up. Uh, Representative Sean Patrick Maloney in New York has um, offered an amendment that would make sure that that nothing in the in the bill would contravene an executive order protecting LGBT rights uh, or the, or the implementation of an executive order protecting those rights when it comes to people being able to use the bathroom of their choice. And the first instance. The congressman tried to attach it to the military construction veterans affairs spending bill that seemed to pass and then didn't pass at the last second after Republicans were were able to get some of their members to change their votes and it, it failed uh, you know just just barely and then the next week uh, Maloney was able to get it passed on the energy and water appropriations bill the the bill that funds water projects and energy projects across the country. Some people say that that actually led to the sinking of the bill itself. The House voted down that bill. That's a very popular bill. I mean, if you want bridges, if you want dams in, exactly. and so forth in your district, uh, you know that you want that bill to pass, and yet they weren't able to get it over the finish line. Now, CQ Magazine has a tradition of closely tracking votes in both chambers. Uh, in your studies recently, are you seeing an uptick in poison pills? It seems like it. 
There was the LGBT uh, votes. I mean, we saw several of those just in the last work period, the last three weeks, uh, right before Memorial Day. But before that, you know, it, during, during that time period, w- there were some on, on the Senate side, too, uh, relating to the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, in particular, Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican from Arkansas, had a uh, an amendment that would have prohibited the purchase of heavy water from Iran. This is an integral part of the deal that the administration had negotiated. Now, there, the Democrats sort of held fast. They kept on voting down procedural motions that would have allowed Republicans to get on the bill and start offering this amendment. They, they, I think, rightfully saw that it would probably pass uh, right. in, in, under most circumstances. So they got a standalone vote just on the cotton bill and actually, actually identified it as a poison pill. They even used the words poison pill. And uh, they were able to get it strike a deal so that they could vote just on Tom Cotton's amendment to prohibit heavy water. They voted it down, and then the Senate was able to go ahead and pass the Energy and Water Appropriations Bill without that poison pill. And then it went over to the House, or the House started debating their own Energy and Water Bill, and then it got hung up on the LGBT amendment. Now, as you've noted, this is sort of a time-honored tradition around the Capitol. When Democrats controlled Congress, Republicans offered their own poison pills on gun control, on policies affecting the District of Columbia, among other things. Did the dynamic play out any differently back then? Not really. Uh, I mean, it, it seems that the, one of the things that we're just seeing now is that the frequency is increasing, but the dynamics are typically the same, is that you want to peel off enough support from the majority to make it uncomfortable for the people who, in the Democrats' case, are, are more conservative Democrats, in the Republicans' case, the people who are more moderate or liberal in the Republican Party, to get them to support the minority party's position on something, which makes it difficult for the bill to advance. Probably the most famous example of this, in, at least in the recent years, is in 2009, there was a bill to, to make the delegate from the District of Columbia a voting member of the House. Right. Uh, we, right now, the District of Columbia does not have a vote in Congress. We have a non-voting delegate here in the, in the District of Columbia. This would have increased the size of the House to 437. It would have granted Utah, a t- typically Republican state, a, a seat also, and then after the next census, which was in two years at that point, the size of the House would have gone back to 435 and it would have been absorbed, the 435, what they would have been able to redistrict to distribute the, the votes. So it looked like things were going swimmingly. Most people, they, the Republicans seemed to be on board. Uh, Republicans were in the minority in both chambers at that time. It passed the Senate. But what happened in the Senate was that Senator John Ensign, who, a Republican from Nevada, was able to attach a bill that would have would have basically eliminated a lot of the, the, the toughest requirements of D.C.'s handgun control laws. Uh, it passed. That, that passed. And then the bill passed. Uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who was the, the delegate uh, then and now, pleaded with her leadership to try to strip this uh, to make sure it didn't get onto the floor in the, in the House version of it. People were, again, lining up support for this bill. It seemed like Republicans were on board with the bill itself. But what happened was this, this gun control amendment did appeal to some of the more conservative Democrats, blue dog Democrats or, or moderate and conservative Democrats, particularly from the, ha- the South and the West, were a force in the Democratic caucus. They actually gave the, the, the Democrats a, sort of a cushion in their majority. They couldn't vote necessarily against this. They tried to figure out a way around it, and it ended up that the Democrats couldn't advance it in the House. They pulled it, and, and the, you know, the, that was able to sink a, a fairly popular bill. 
Now, holding show votes on incendiary social issues, particularly, uh, obviously, is something that plays to each party's base. But to what extent does it contribute to dysfunctionality in Congress? I mean, does each side see the other's poison pills coming and they view it as just part of doing business? Or does it go deeper and does it erode trust? It, it seems that the there is a give and take to a certain degree. I mean, everybody, you know, sees this as part of the of the cost of doing business, if you will. But again, the frequency of it, and because we're seeing less and less legislation make it to the floor of each chamber now, it puts a premium on on how you, whether you can get it onto what few bills are moving. Right now, the the Republicans had hoped that they could proceed with what they call regular order, getting a bill through committee, putting it on the floor, having a relatively open process with amendments. And and passing it and going to a conference. I mean, it's the schoolhouse rock version of of passing legislation. And that has sort of ground to a halt, even on the simplest bills, the spending bills, the one thing that, you know, the, <laughs> the Congress, you know, is supposed to do is like appropriate money for programs that keep the government running. And they have not been able to get past these, you know, I mean, they, they passed a couple of appropriations bills in the in in the Senate and one in the House. And then it, it just sort of it's it, the weight of all these uh, of these amendments is starting to bear down on the process. And, and if it seems that if you have more legislation, you might have more bites at the apple. But I think everybody knows this is an election year. There are fewer bills that are making it to the floor. And so this is their one shot to make a statement, particularly as they they face primary opponents, particularly as they want to make statements, you know, as with the coming election. And it just puts this this pressure that it, it doesn't really seem to have been a, as much a part of the game as before. CQ Magazine Deputy Editor Jason Dick on the profusion of poison pill amendments in the current Congress. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher.